hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Hello, oh, Christine. My little muffin. Oh, How are Stud you feeling? Muffin? No? That, okay. Oh, I thought you said step muffin. I was like, sorry, you don't want to be blood related to me. <laughs> Hello, my little no, step your, stud muffin. <laughs> I'll be your little biological muffin. Um, <laughs> ah, yummy. <laughs> uh, how am I feeling? Fine. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? I'm sleepy. I went to a bachelorette party this weekend. Oh, who's? My friend Liz, who... Um, is my brother's high school friend and then I moved uh nearby her in Kentucky and we became close um and so I went down with Dee my brother's girlfriend and we went to Red River Gorge and had this beautiful cabin and it was really fun I was gonna say you look very tan was that a product of that no that was a product of a um a bottle a bottle I found in from Australia on Amazon (laughs) so um but thank you for noticing um you're welcome you know, there's a hot tub and stuff, so I was like, I guess I should look a little tan. Um, it worked. You look like you're, like, sun-kissed, perfectly sun-kissed. Thank you. I did go hiking one day, and oh, boy. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, How was it? It was a, lo- it was a lot. I. It wasn't even that long or that strenuous. It was just, like, at the top, there was this natural bridge, and it's, like, this big platform with, like, 
basically plummeting cliffs on both sides. And so, of course, I have I I always think I don't have a fear of heights until I'm on a height, and then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm fearful right now. Uh, uh, I, I think guess everyone that's a fear has a of heights. I think everyone has a fear of heights, but everyone has a different height they're afraid threshold. of threshold oh yeah like because well it wasn't even like me like it wasn't me being near the edge it was like anytime someone walked toward the edge i would like stop mm. breathing and be like you need to get away from that right now because if i watch you die you're gonna ruin my whole day <laughs> <laughs> see i'm not worried about um i thought i wasn't afraid of heights and then i did a hot air balloon and i was like oh Oof, shit uh, i'm afraid of heights. that was a yeah. bad place to find out you're scared of them i um, said that and someone was like didn't you go skydiving i was like yeah i vomited all over the floor afterwards so that did you go you skydiving do i know this I about did. you i don't know there's a video on youtube please don't find it a bunch of people have found it so you'll probably find it but there's Are a video you... on youtube what how could how did you even get yourself into that plane knowing what was going to happen it's a great question um i as i as you know well about me now i'm extremely good at dissociating so i just kind of said hey <laughs> I can imagine i can imagine your youtube video is you just like 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 a thousand yards stare just totally dissociating in the sky it was but i was also tr- I, I knew there was a camera this is the most me bullshit ever and so i was trying they were filming it so i was like being like funny and like joking but like looking back I'm like I don't remember a second of that I just like (laughs) I think that's what I do on stage at shows I just like leave my body and say good luck I hope you can figure this out yourself and then at least there you can drink wine that's exactly true yeah I was not allowed I was not given any wine on although on the natural bridge I did have a high noon in my backpack um so Mm. I did pull that out to kind of comfort myself but it was like then there were people with their kids who were kind of wandering toward the edge and I was like I I'm seriously going to have a panic attack if any of these kids get too close to the edge. I can't abide by this. Um, but anyway, it was a delightful weekend and I had wonderful fun. Um, and I'm happy to be back here with you. Em. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I, I'm, I'm having a bit of, um, I don't know if there's like such a thing as like a flare up for anxiety, but yeah, like, sure. Is there, is there I think so? Yeah. I'm going through it right now. This is like the third day in a row where like I like I'm having some trouble breathing. And so my then I'm having anxiety on top of that being like this better before I have to go on tour. Hang on. Maybe you knew I was on that bridge and you were like, oh, no. (laughs) Maybe I still still haven't spiritually recovered. Your soul. Maybe my soul visited you and was like, my body's on a bridge over there and she's going (laughs) to fall off a cliff. And you're like, oh, fuck. Maybe I did fall and my my soul is still free falling and that's why I'm like feeling so jittery. <laughs> but uh <laughs> But no, I'm I'm a I my my body is not allowing me to like relax for 5 seconds. So um I'm a little panicky for fully no reason. For no reason. So I'm kind of we always it. have a reason. We always have a reason. I can't think of You know one. we're going back on tour. We're I know to be but doing shockingly a lot of projects. I know we're supposed to be, but, but that's who we are. Maybe I that maybe that's we. what's happening. I'm settling into the the fear. Of... Yeah, your body's like we're back to our normal routine, <laughs> our normal bullshit. Oh, well, anyway, I'm I'm hoping that it'll go away in time to see you and be on stage because that's yes, just of total fear tactic of mine. Anyway, uh, if not, our souls can leave our husks behind together and there fly away into the sunset, holding hands. And Eve will say, come back. And we'll say, no, we can't hear you. Sorry. We're going through a tunnel. Bye. 
Well, I will say before I had this flare, it really should have come. I'm not surprised that it's happened. But for the last week, I like forced myself to like go on a vacation because I was supposed to be on vacation anyway. And so since I ended up staying here, I was like, I'm just going to like veg the fuck out and like actually breathe because I feel like I haven't breathed in a long time. And... This, is, it was, this week is all about me. I'm going to breathe yeah. some oxygen. <laughs> That's how sad my life's become, where I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to treat myself with a breath, a gust of oxygen. And Ooh. so um, so I, I made myself, like, not think about anything. And I know in hindsight I'll regret that. But, like, um, no, you but probably I, needed it. I did need it. And so it's interesting that as soon as I let myself get back into, like, work mode, I started having, like, the worst panic attacks I've That's had in a very why long time. Your body was like, oh, we're back to this bullshit. <laughs> probably. We had such anyway, a nice little reset. It was so lovely. I've already missed that time. But it was very worth it. So up until, if you ask me how I was, like, you know, 72 hours ago, I would say I'm having the best time. So, um, you know, come see, come saw. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's what we say. Okay, sarah, sarah, all those other foreign languages. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. There are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get started today and get after your goals. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required and it's less expensive than takeout. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is a perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. I found myself recently recommending Factor to so many people in my life and this food is really good. So Blaze and I actually get to pick our own meals every week and, you know, separate them in the little drawer in the fridge and, uh, uh, make sure the other keeps their hands off. I personally love the cold brew smoothies. Those are always my go-to in the morning if I'm running around dropping Leona off, don't have time to cook myself breakfast. It's a great solution. Head to factormeals.com slash drink50 and use code drink50 to get 50% off. That's code drink50 at factormeals.com slash drink50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Well, Christine, I have a maybe UFO story for you today. Oh, man. And this is the abductions of Brian Scott. Mm. Uh, and this is pretty, I mean, I'm going to tell you that it's bananagrams, but I didn't actually really even deep dive into some of it. And I'm just going to warn people now on that because some of i found whatever i could on in like general internet sources but apparently there are there are like books that have come out about this that like go really in depth on some of the details and i i'm telling you now i did not read those um some of what the, if that was your vacation last week you just read a bunch of really long books <laughs> it's like the well, world's worst vacation for m schultz well i'll also say that these abduction these abductions specifically that i'm going to talk about or this case the story is a little too wild that i don't know if i would have been able to fully break it down mm. properly so i 
honestly, especially because I was in my treat yourself moment, I was like, <laughs> I know I'm not going to do this justice, so I'm just going to kind of keep it simple. Like, okay. I mean, I think probably for most of us, it's the first time we're hearing of it. So I think an overview is fine. You know what I okay. mean? Okay. Yeah. And if, yeah, yeah. if anyone's like, I really want to know the, the inner in and out, just I have you know, the book and get the, the books. Yeah. Yeah. I have the, the shout out for that. I mean, but, uh, it, it's like nearly impossible for us to touch on an entire several books series in one episode <laughs> yeah especially when they're things that i mean they're apparently about like the alien world like it would it would feel like i was explaining QAnon again like and that I, oh that was my first thought i was like that was quite a doozy um it, it took a toll <laughs> yeah I, I am on, on all of us to be honest you mostly but also yeah. us <laughs> So anyway, if you want more information, I will I will shout out the book at the end. But um, this is what you can find with a simple Google search and not going any further than that. This is Great. and by simple Google search, I did do several hours to be clear. But mm -hmm. if you were to Google it, this is what you'll find. So um, what's interesting about this case, and this is what drew my little peepers to it, is that this seems to be a UFO case that based on whatever researcher was studying the case mm -hmm. um they came at it from very different lenses i don't know if this is normal in the paranormal world or in the ufo world and i just am unaware of this but th this case in particular seemed to announce itself as whoever was studying it uh you could see it as either aliens or a poltergeist or like any sort of supernatural thing oh. all it's almost like an overlap of all the worlds oh okay um, there was one quote that said that this case marries together elements of UFOs, alien contact, poltergeist phenomena, spiritual possession, and everything in between. <laughs> and I was, everything in between. Everything. Runs the gamut. Full, full up. Um, no big deal. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit, like, I don't think we've ever had a case where ghosts collab with aliens, you know? So I don't think so, which is kind of wild, but exciting. So this is... um. I think that's another reason why I didn't get into the book because I feel like it was really heavily leaning into one direction versus another. And it was just, I wasn't going to be able to do like a, a balance. It, so mm -hmm. anyway, so this is a uh, Brian Scott story and it starts depending on the source, either when he was 16 or on his actual 16th birthday. So oh, I boy. guess either way it was his 16th year of life is when we began. It was um, the day was October 12th, 1959 and he was walking his dog. This was in Phoenix. The whole story takes place in, in, in or around Phoenix. And as he's walking his dog, an orange orb of light, uh, this ball of light about the size of a basketball, hovered over his dog. Just appeared out of nowhere and is hovering over his dog's head. I don't like that. I would first think that, like, someone threw a basketball nearby and it was yeah. about to hit my dog like, in the head. Stop throwing things at my dog. Yeah, but apparently it just hovered there. The orb was pretty see-through, and it looked like it was more solid in the center and, like, kind of faded away the further out you got. Okay. Um, and the, ba the ball or orb all of a sudden moved towards him and stops right in front of his face. Hmm. So Then again, I would think a basketball is about to hit me in the face. I'd go, <laughs> I would <laughs> fucking too. duck. I'd go, whoa. I probably wouldn't. I'd be like, what's that? Bam. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as Brian looked at it, Apparently, this flurry of images started running through his head. And uh, as soon as he kind of came to realize that this thing was trying to communicate with him, 
the orb shot off into the sky, not to be seen mm-hmm. for a very long time afterwards. But dun, dun, dun. all that we really get from that is it was his first real experience with something odd. Um, and he deals with like streaks and orbs of light in the future. So this was his first encounter with this and he knew it was trying to communicate with them. So he knew it was intelligent. Okay. So again, you hear orb, you think ghost, but also images in your head that shoots off into the sky. Could be an alien. We don't know. Um, the next time, so that was in 1959. We don't see anything again until 71. Um, Mm. On Pi Day, so March 14th, 1971, he's hiking in the desert of Arizona at, at, of course, it's called Superstition Mountains. Um, (laughs) And he's with his friend Nick. And fun fact, Superstition Mountain sounds like a place I should just cover on its own. Um, It is allegedly an underground military base. Um, which I feel like you're hiding in plain sight at that point if you're going to put a base under <laughs> Superstition Mountain. Nothing to see here. <laughs> you might as well like have like a CIA Area 51 space called like QAnon Street, you know, like something crazy. <laughs> um, so anyway, Superstition Mountain has an underground base, allegedly. There's also a lot of like bizarre deaths that happen there. People have claimed that supernatural voices show up and speak to them or that there are like invisible forces that have either appeared to people or will take over somebody and it will like cause them to like attack the people they're with in the group. Um, What the fuck? People get abducted there. Apparently the reptilians who I've talked about, they are said Uh. to live in the mountains. Um, So great place to, to go. I feel like if I had ever had a single (laughs) minuscule alien encounter, I would just never go to a place called superstition mountain. Yeah. I Um, would just stay inside my home. Like yeah. for the rest of my life, I think. Not that that would help you, but I would feel no, safer. No, certainly not. So yeah. both allegedly, uh, Nick and Brian, they had this weird urge that day to go head in the direction of those mountains without a real plan to have been there. Mm. So already feeling compelled by something to be there. And while there, Brian looks up into the sky and he sees an oval-shaped glowing UFO with purple lights in the sky, and it is apparently significantly larger than a normal plane. Oh, boy. Brian has a gut feeling to run, which, by the way, was not there when a basketball was coming at his face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the this UFO, I guess, could... I don't know if it was giving him a sense of doom or it could sense that he had a sense of doom. Um, But all of a sudden it hovers over him as he's about to run away. And it was so big once it was hovering over them that Brian says he couldn't even see the sky. (laughs) They get covered the sky, Mm -mm. which makes me think it was always the size of the sky and just being cloaked in some way, you know? Ew. Like, how do you start as something someone sees over here and then just like it zooms in that you know what I mean? How, or maybe it's really fast. Maybe it just it ha- like it doesn't use our transportation. You know, like the Tic Tac where it was going so fast and they were mm. like, our technology can't do that. Yeah. Good point. So anyway, he looks up again. All of a sudden, it, the sky is not there, which is cool. I can't, can't imagine a more <laughs> apocalyptic feeling. They're like, oh, also on Superstition Mountain. We forgot to mention, but sometimes the sky just goes away. So if you're okay with that, let's go hiking. <laughs> can, you, I, can you imagine talking to someone like me who already doesn't want to go hiking? Yeah, and right? they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Sometimes the sun is gone. It's like, <laughs> it's what? fine. It's really not a big deal. Uh, So... 
this thing hovers over them. He says, his body tells him to run, but like, where are you going to run if the sky is gone? (laughs) So all of a sudden he feels a quote, pulsating, pulling feeling go through his body. And soon he's being lifted off the ground. Oh no. Next thing he knows, he is on the UFO. Surprisingly, Nick is there too, which I can't imagine. Can you just be like, Sup, Nick? Like, <laughs> oh, you're here. <laughs> like, Bro, like, you didn't get away either? Um, And so they're both, I guess, just fucking chilling on this UFO. And all of a sudden, the room begins to fill with fog. Oh, fuck. And soon, out of the fog, walks, quote, walks in very horrifying creatures. Oh, no. And the fog, interestingly, seems to soak back into their bodies. So I'm wondering, like, did they, like, was it a skin fart? Like, did they (laughs) fart it out and then they, like, reabsorb it? Or was there, like, a special effects team that they walked in and happened to absorb Uh, it for the first time? in turn have to turn the fog machine on? Or is it, like, actually part of their... Was one of them, like, shouting into the other room, like, kill the fog, kill the sound machine, kill the... the (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but yeah, interestingly, I don't know how it first appeared, if it was originally in their body or not, but it goes into their body. Yeah. Okay. Um, and these creatures happen to be seven feet tall, a cool seven feet. <laughs> they have gray reptilian skin, similar to a croc or a rhino. And uh, it apparently, on top of its scaly skin, has a thick patch of hide over its torso. Oh, like its own bulletproof vest? I get... Isn't hide, like, like thick skin or something? Like rawhide? Yeah. Yeah, I think hide is, like, like on a rhino or something. Like, really thick, like... So maybe it's bulletproof. Maybe it's, it's just weaponproof in general. Yeah, or... maybe it's just a safety thing. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I think about where we should have hide on our body. And, like, I think armpits is a great candidate. Mm. You know? Well, then how do we sweat? That's a good question. I just, I I will always live in constant fear someone's about to tickle me, even if I'm in a room alone. I'm just, like, always very Wait, aware. seriously? <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> oh, Constantly. no. I okay, live in... you can have your hide transferred to your armpits, then. I would give case. anything to have a constant shield for my armpits. Like, it probably could make it smell nicer, because it wouldn't be, like, sweat no, and stuff. No, it'd be trapped in there. Oh, that's oh. true. I don't know. It depends on how the hide is placed on me, I guess. But, yeah. I no, I live in. You don't live in that constant anxiety. No, I don't. I didn't know that you did either. To be honest, I, I never announced it because I thought everyone felt that. Way. <laughs> I honestly am thinking like, wow, I, there's so much I don't know about you. I'm having a little bit of a, a moment. Oh, that's really um embarrassing. <laughs> it's not embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. I have like other weird fears about like my Achilles heel and stuff that I'm sure are just oh me. well. Every time you get out of a car, right? No, not even that. I'm oh, just, really? I just saw one time in some show, I don't remember which one, when I was younger, like somebody like slicing someone's Achilles heel and ever since I have like it this... was It was House of Wax, I think. Oh, I've never seen that, but... Oh, well, it happens there too, so I was going to say, it must have happened in multiple movies in our childhood. Oh, I always heard about it because my mom was one of those parents who like always warned me that someone was going to kill me at any moment and they were like, someone would always be hiding under my car and they try to like, when you step out, they cut your Achilles heel so they That's can fucked up. Well, that was what my, my mom used to tell me every day before I got in the car. So my dad used to tell me that <laughs> if I had the duvet cover on backwards, I would choke in, on the buttons in my sleep and die. So 
I have a b- deep seated fear about my sheets being on straight. <laughs> That's beyond. That's crazier than Doesn't my armpit situation. <laughs> I really do like often I'm like I think that's why because I sweat a lot I'm just like lucky that I I really cake on the deodorant I guess but, like I'm always tense in my armpits because I'm just waiting I think I all maybe it's from my own childhood issues where like my dad thought it was hysterical to just like poke you in the armpit and no, opportunity got and it, it's like I still and also in the hip he would always like poke you in the hip because like the the part that gets you that tickles Ew, uh, no he just like I think like to like it was like a weird, like, gotcha trick that he thought was hilarious in no, some bad tickling, way. Tickling can be bad. Like, it's 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 not really... I don't so, promote that for kids. It's not good. Me either. I don't like, like it. Google it, guys. It's not good. Um, but yeah. Anyway, I, that's I, why I, I have a weird thing about my armpits, because I'm anyway, just like... Anyway, what else are you afraid of? <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. So anyway, we're getting back to the thick patch of hide that I wish I had <laughs> on my, my on like... armpits. My armpit and my torso, I guess, for getting poked there all the time. So, uh, yeah, there was. And then on top of that, these things had three long fingers on each hand that looked like claws. Nah. So forget that. Uh, Brian then described these creatures because I guess he already said it's kind of like a crocodile or a rhino based on the skin. But then it's got this weird hide on it and it has claws. He described it as a combination of earth animals, um, which I wonder if that's. If they were the aliens mm-hmm. were trying to like figure out something that you could relate to and just throw them yes. all together, you know? Yes. I, I wonder that all the time about stuff like this where there was one um, story I heard, I think on Astonishing Legends, where he saw a- like as a kid, he saw these aliens as like circus monkeys almost. But then like as mm. he grew up, they would like change what they looked like to <sighs> to make him feel like comfortable. Of course, it didn't work because he's like, well, now there are circus monkeys in my room. I'm not happy about that um but it was almost like an attempt to make them like yeah relate yeah i would be terrified of monkeys for the rest of my life (laughs) right me too feel like are you a monkey or are you a fucking alien yeah (laughs) why what are you juggling what's happening (laughs) so uh brian described them as a combination of earth animals and then the beings uh told brian and nick who's still fucking there um they told them to disrobe yikes and then Whoa. they were brought to separate rooms so we don't know what happened to nick and now we just know brian's story which is that he was taken into his own room and in this room there was some technology he was unaware of where the room itself had a supernatural force to it that was able to hold him against the wall while they examined him and that's as far as we go there um i don't know what type of exam i don't really need mm. to know no nah. But in the room, so basically he's not in control of his body, and there is a pole in the middle of the room with a box on it. It feels kind of like a telephone pole. That's kind of how it's coming across to me. And uh, the Mm -hmm. box on the pole has a laser beam coming out of it. Oh, Um, sure. And the beings that were examining him go over to this control box, and they shine the laser onto him, and wherever it's hitting his body, Brian can feel warm and cold fluids flowing through him. So he can like, mm. like the laser, he can like physically feel it going through him, which is yuck. Um, when they eventually shined the light in his eyes, he felt instant pain in his head and then immediately his mind goes numb. So it was almost like, it's like a medical procedure of like, oh, we're going to like, sh- it's like, we're going to dilate your eyes, but actually we're going to numb your mind. <laughs> and, uh. 
after this, a new being walks in. This one is nine feet tall. Um, and he comes mm-hmm. over to Brian and touches Brian's head. Brian immediately feels thousands of thoughts and images getting projected into his head, just like the orb did. Yeah. And when Brian says, what do you want? It telepathically told him, I will tell you, I will show you. Oh, I'd be like, never mind. Keep it to yourself. I just wanted a name. I just wanted like, like like one quick word. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The alien or creature then said, there will be no more pain of this. And Brian's head pain goes away. So that's nice. (gasps) That's good. Uh. And the walls of the room all of a sudden transform a la smart house into like some sort <laughs> of like 360 hologram. And Brian now sees himself standing um, in a space where he can see a land uh, of domed cities. So he's like almost <gasps> seeing, I guess, like he's seeing the skyline of it um, yeah. of domed cities. And they're all all through mist so he's kind of seeing what i imagine is like if you're in a skyscraper and seeing like the tippy tops of buildings and everybody's um, farted skin farted around <laughs> and so there's fog everywhere <laughs> could you imagine though if people could far- if people farted and you could s- at least see the mist so you knew where to no. avoid biggest Ugh. fear biggest fear unlocked it's besides one choking on the buttons of my duvet this is so wild sometimes i've thought you know how they say animals can see things you can't i was like what if they can <gasps> see farts you know, that might be why Gio leaves the room a lot. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I know what's happening here. Well, I would like to be able to see them. So I at least knew, like, if I'm getting crop dusted, how far away can I get away without having to deal with this? You know? Yeah, that's true. It'd be useful instead of like just guessing if my mouth and nose are safe. Um, anyway, we've really I'm so sorry, everybody. Gross. But it is, a, it is a thought that happens way too often in my head. <laughs> So, so there's a he's seeing this land of dome cities he's in this hologram room and he's seeing a, a, a world that he's unaware of and uh this being says that what you're looking at is a hologram or a projection um of our old of our town our hometown cute um and yeah what do you say you're like oh it's beautiful like, it looks can lovely I, can i go home now <laughs> yeah um he also says that uh, even not only is what you're seeing a hologram, but even our identities on board are holograms. See, because we, you called it. We are disguising ourselves to you. Ew. Uh, this is a quote from Brian that says, the gray bulk of flesh. Okay. Could have said it any other way. But Whoa. the gray, <laughs> <laughs> just calling someone a bulk of flesh. Yeah. The gray bulk of flesh changed into that, in front of his very eyes, changed <gasps> into that of a beautiful people with long flowing red hair, deep blue eyes, and a golden bronze complexion. I felt a welcome sensation of peacefulness as a voice began speaking within my mind. And it said to me, we are the children of the stars from time beyond all time. Are they Pleiadians? We- it sounds like it, right? I, that word doesn't come up in this, but it sounds like that, oh, right? Oh, it does. Except I think Pleiadians have um have a have a blonde hair, but oh, right. Well, maybe it was like colorblind, you know, and didn't just it just didn't oh, know. maybe 
<laughs> Maybe they uh, just had they just bought went to Walgreens and bought like a box dye and were like I was, I feel like of standing out this week, you know. They were looking for an Australian bottle of spray that they could <laughs> throw on themselves before a bachelorette hey, party. Hey, I plenty. Come on. <laughs> Uh, they also said that the reason they appear as gray at first and not as like some beautiful redhead is because they quote wear the gray cloak of sorrow, which like that sounds like depression. <laughs> Just to be clear, f- I also wear that. By the way, <laughs> it's not very comfortable. We wear the gray cloak of sorrow in remembrance of our past. Sit with us now as tonight your journey begins. What the fuck? So it said this, again, projecting uh, a cloak of sorrow. That's how they appear to people. But maybe that hide that we were talking about is involved in this because they said parts of their form um, that they're disguising themselves with is a shield against other biological agents so they don't get sick from other people they're interacting with. Okay. And they told Brian that the homeland he had been looking at in this hologram um, was what their home world used to look like before a virus came through and killed many of their kind. Oh, shit. Oh, no. So that's why they're now wearing the cloak of sorrow to remember their past. And now oh. they have a now they have a shield to protect them from biological agents. So it doesn't happen again. And then the holographic images of their home world disappears. They're back in the normal UFO room. And now Brian has the ability to move around. Okay. I also looked it up what Pleiadians look like, and apparently Andromedans have red hair. Mm. One day I'll do an episode where I just list them all. Like, just give I can't like a, wait. a directory of like, you know, M's unofficial guide to <laughs> M's very unofficial guide. <laughs> the Miriam Webster M de- definition <laughs> of every alien. So, anyway, so now the they've explained, like, oh, we, you know, where we come from. And the the hologram goes away. He can now move. He's not trapped to against this force anymore. And he looks up and the creature is walking out of the room. And I guess he was just done with the conversation. And Brian asks who he is. And this is when the creature turns around. I'm imagining very dramatically. Of course. And... This is this is apparently in different sources. This is the moment where he shows himself as a redhead with blue eyes and more human looking oh, than because the hair has to flip. Right, that's what I'm imagining too. It's like a Cinderella yep. spin of sorts, and <laughs> and he says, "This creature says, I lift the veil of projection. I am Voltar." What? And it- <laughs> And then he remembers he was playing a video game this whole time and he accidentally fell asleep and this was all a bad dream. Please tell me that's what happens. Which, like, by the way, Voltar seems like such a fucking reckless little alien to be like, oh, we have all these, like, strategies and, like, Uh protocols to make sure we don't get sick. We have all these disguises. I lift the veil of projection simply because you asked my name. You know? (laughs) You knew the secret code. (laughs) By the way, I have a picture of Voltar for you. And I want you to imagine this is the one dramatically turning around and lifting the veil of projection. I am so amped. Oh my god! I love it in the bottom. It's like it almost looks signed, Voltar, in like a handwriting. <laughs> um, so he looks a little. He's giving Hercules, you know, Ooh, like yeah, a little bit with that headband, the little headband and red hair. So immediately, it's my he's only. Definitely smizing, you know. He's 
truly working it. He's mm-hmm. like ready for the the runway. He is. Um. So anyway, he turns around, and says, "I am Voltar," and then continues to dramatically walk out and leave. <laughs> After Voltar leaves the room, more of the beings come in. I wonder if they are in rhino crocodile form or if they're in Voltar hmm. form. I don't know. Um. But they then grab Brian and they escort him to the exit of the UFO, which I like how they're like, your your time is done here. Bye bye. Brian gets there, finds Nick. Who knows what Nick just went through? Poor Nick. And uh, they both get dressed, which I they couldn't do that in their own rooms. It's kind of weird yeah. to me. And then they're slowly floated back down to the mountain. Okay. At least so, gently. Yeah. And so just like yeeted off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So when they get back to their car, which like they could have at least fucking dropped you off at the car. That's true. You had to walk back. That's kind of rude. I got to say. Can you imagine taking me hiking? I don't even want to fucking be there. Then no, I get first abducted. Of all, I can't imagine you taking you hiking. But anyway, go on. Then I get abducted and then I have to hike back down. Yeah. No, no, nah. no, 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 no. I've had enough of today. Um, <laughs> I've had enough. I've had it up to here. <laughs> so when they get back to the car, they realize that two hours have passed. Mm-hmm. And this is super weird. As soon as they get home and off the mountain, Brian notices right away that he is very quickly losing the memories of what had just happened to them, (gasps) almost as if they were being erased in real time. (gasps) Very soon, Brian, like within the same day, Brian entirely loses the memory and wouldn't regain it until years later when he got hypnotized. I was going to say, I feel like the only way people end up getting those back is under hypnosis. Well, so during hypnosis, he discovers that this was the first event of many where he then is later abducted several other times through 1975. Oh, no. After one of these encounters, that's when Brian started experiencing paranormal phenomena in his house. Oh, no. So now we're like, okay, is this that was obviously an alien situation. And now we've got some ghost stuff unlocked a new realm or something so i i was gonna say this at the end but you're kind of already hitting it that one of the theories is that i mean a lot of people are coming at this as clearly assuming this is not mental illness clearly this is an alien experience but then all of a sudden all this weird ghost shit starts happening so are ghosts aliens are aliens ghosts are they like are they distant relatives of each other are do people that have alien experiences um end up having more paranormal stuff simply because any and all things are attracted to the like elevated energy levels near you so like it becomes it becomes this whole conversation for investigators on like where is the line between supernatural things and like how do they work together and do they know of each other oh that is so interesting and then you wonder like is it because you've accessed a certain realm that now like you just Mm -hmm. have that open door like how when you've talked about people who die on the table and like come back they've kind of unlocked some sort of access in a while yeah or like even people like with um uh what's it when they can like remember things from past lives because they're so young like they're still so close <gasps> to that side or like yes you know so they're still kind of tethered to that other side Ooh. so that's that's the whole like fascinating part of this case is that every investigator came at it from a different perspective and they right. all had different theories of what it could mean so oh my gosh 
So anyway, that was the first um, encounter, but now he's having uh, paranormal stuff happen in his house, mainly that he is noticing a lot of random lights through his house. So he's having streaks of light, balls of light, flashes of light that are so bright that they would blind everybody in the house and then just randomly disappear. Mm. Where this is super weird, but I've actually had a a blinding ball of light show up and then disappear. What? What? Um, Tell me. It wasn't at my house. It was with my friend Brandy, and it was the weirdest thing in the whole world. It it was not my ghost. I think it was the ghost in her house that did not follow me home. It was a fly. Um, or is it? <laughs> it's, it's saying, shut up, shut up. Um, it's like, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my friend Brandy, she had something that it didn't show up a lot in her house, but it happened enough that in high school she would talk about it sometimes that she would see this like white, white apparition or kind of this glow that would show up in her house every now and then and she was telling me about it late one night and in her house and i said something like oh well that's gotta be good at the time in my mind i don't know if this is still true but i believed at the time and still kind of believe it that if you're seeing a bright light you're probably safe versus like if you see something dark maybe it's more ominous Mm. but that was kind of the i don't know the the way i went about things at the time and i was like oh well you know that's probably really good at least if it's if it's a light glow that you're seeing maybe it it wants you to feel safe and as i was saying that i can't explain this i cannot explain this and i have talked to brandy about this multiple times throughout the years to be like did that fucking happen but out of nowhere as i'm explaining it my hands you know i talk with my hands i remember freezing in time not of like like time froze like i remember Mm. my hands being stuck like this and me looking around like my eyes could move but i remember seeing my body frozen what we were watching on tv was frozen brandy was frozen everything was frozen i was i was stuck in time all of a sudden all of a sudden out of in the other room comes this glowing ball of white like a perfect circle of bright white energy floats through her house uh, and like floats right in between the two of us and then like pulsates and grows until it's like the it's covering the entire room what fully bright white light it like explodes in front of us completely gone and every and everything went back into working like the tv was on we were able to move (gasps) did she see it too yeah and i was like i was like what the fuck was that and we it she was just like i don't know that was fucking weird Has, and th- had that ever happened before when she saw it or was this the first time it like that was, froze time? that was the first time that was the first time <gasps> but that it was is terrifying it, as far as i know it's never happened again but it was so freaky it was probably the freakiest thing that's ever happened to me yeah, like i never must feel like surreal i still think i had to have been dreaming or something but it was as i was saying oh well maybe if it's a light color it wants you to know that you're safe and it's nice and that's when it happened so oh i always oh my god so i was like okay well that's a good thing to like show up during yeah, did like you I, feel like it was confirming that then yeah yeah oh wow that's but can you imagine if as i was saying that a really fucking dark figure froze time that'd be <laughs> my god. that is yeah it was like you speak of me <laughs> yeah uh, that is so wild um it was bananas so wow tangent time sorry anyway. about that no that um, was i mean that was very relevant yeah well so this guy is seeing balls and flashes of light that blind you and then disappear which i can say i've experienced been there and there have been a few uh apparently there were a few people who ended up reporting also seeing this around him and there were 
random items that would show up through his house. There's one quote from an interview where he said, a rather odd brown-shaped thing. That's vague. Yeah. Um, A brown-shaped thing has from time to time shown up in the house. It dashes around the room in crazy directions, and every time that it does, it creates some damage to the home. (laughs) All the electricity and circuits in the house have melted, frozen, and burned (gasps) up. Sounds like a flying squirrel got in the chimney, but I guess maybe it was not. <laughs> it sounds like some, yeah, something really obnoxious. It's like a um, pest. So then his wife, here's the other f- weird paranormal thing. His wife starts acting weird. She's oh, no. having fainting spells. She starts mumble, mumbling noises and nonsense. <gasps> like he can't understand what she's saying. She apparently starts going into trances where she's acting out of character. Oh. In one interview uh, that he had, Brian said that one time she felt like she either she felt like it. I didn't totally understand, but either she felt like it or was truly convinced that there were hands all over her body and she was being grabbed and assaulted by these hands. (gasps) Oh, God. Um, Going forward, he then said or going further, he said it was as if from her description she was describing the aliens I had seen aboard the craft in 1971 had visited her. This is odd because she has never seen any of the sketches I made of those entities. <gasps> so I don't know if she was actually seeing them and describing them to him or if she was feeling herself be examined like he had been. Oh, yuck. I don't know which one it is. Um Later that night, he was looking for her in the house and couldn't find her. And this was after she had already said she didn't feel good. She felt like she was, like, you know, being grabbed. And Brian heard something in the bathroom. So he went to go check and see what was going on. He found her in there. And this is what he had to say. This is kind of a long quote, but it's, you know, worth it. My wife was on the floor, hyperventilating. I got her up and onto a chair in the living room. I was on my way to call her mother when she just fell flat on her face. (gasps) I called the paramedics, and while they were on their way, she got up and fell down again. Then she began to become hysterical. It took four paramedics to hold her down. She was throwing people around as if they were tissue paper. (gasps) Men were thrown backward against the furniture. Finally, they loaded her up into the ambulance. Holy shit, that sounds like a freaking possession. Possession. Like an exorcism almost. Yeah. And as this was happening, all of a sudden, he goes to the playpen to make sure that their one-year-old is doing okay fucking missing no what they end up finding the baby very quickly on the patio but this baby was way too young to be able to break out of its own playpen right and so one of the things that they had been experiencing up until this point was that objects moved by themselves in the home um and now all of a sudden their baby is moving by itself in the home that's yeah it's like that's not an object stop it guys yeah that's that's a whole new level that doesn't Um, count yeah but how creepy that like objects could move by themselves and now on the night where it's really showing its power it's literally like oh and by the way i can also do this yes forget it further terrify you in the house after this night they kept hearing voices in random rooms that were in random languages so they didn't even know what it was saying um more objects moved on their own and they were able to see apparitions although some say they were aliens um because these beings they could see were bald big-eyed humanoid creatures which could be an apparition could be something coming back to visit you like an alien to me and during all of this brian decided that he was going to do hypnotic regression and during this this is super creepy he starts speaking in a voice that is not his 
It is mechanical computerized, and I'm assuming very Microsoft Sam-ish. Terrible. This voice he called the host. Oh! <laughs> Sorry, that really <laughs> took me by surprise. That's terrible. Oh, that gives when, me goose cam. Oh, no. I, I guess when the, the doctors doing the hypnosis were like, what's your name? And they said the host. Um, <gasps> and... Brian was able to channel the host many times after this. So one of the other voices that would speak, this was just one of the voices that spoke through Brian. The other one was named Ashtar, um, which it's unclear if this was of the UFO world or paranormal, or again, could be like some sort of mental health issue because um, I don't know. I don't know if he was aware of the terminology, but people with um, DID, dissociative identity disorder, the host host is one of the is like a common right. word used. Great of point. Like, I didn't even put that together. So I don't I don't think that's the case, but I do want to mention like that's a of weird course. coincidence. Um but so one of the other voices that are coming through is named Ashtar. And this is uh, a quote about the host in Ashtar. The voice seems to come out of me, an inner voice that is not mine. The entity says that I am one with it. When asked if it has a name, it will just come back and say, I am, I am. The other night, we heard the same strange sounds coming from the bedroom. I began to speak in a foreign language that we later found out was Greek. Where that came from, I don't know. I wrote in Greek backwards, too. On top of that, on top of that, I was writing with my left hand and I am right handed. The voice was talking. We asked who it was, and the name Ashtar came out. Then it began to use the name Ashtar and speak to my wife. I told It told her things about her past that only she could know. Then it went on to say it would give her all the money in the world. It only wanted one thing in return, her soul. Blaze and I just went to a New Year's wedding, and we have one coming up next weekend. Not a New Year's wedding, but another friend's wedding. And I just love weddings. I feel like I've said that so many times at this point. And that's why I always love telling you all about Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From free planning tools like a customizable checklist and website to a venue and vendor discovery tool that matches you with your dream team, everything on Zola is designed to make your wedding journey as easy as possible. And with invites that are fun to create and a wedding registry packed with gifts you actually want, Zola takes you from save our date to thanks so much without breaking a sweat. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go. Zola really has become the sort of one-stop shop for wedding planning. I used Zola when I got married and it was an indispensable tool. I could not, I swear to you, I could not have gotten half of the stuff done that I did without Zola on my side. But now Zola, I'm only a little bit bitter, has so many more amazing tools. They have an app. They have all sorts of stuff like that that wedding vendor discovery tool. You know, that is really cool. I, I kind of want to go back. Blaze, should we get married again? Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. 
Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Here, can I say something? Because when you said I am, it uh, brought me back to the beautiful, lovely, idyllic days of my Catholic school education. Um, Say it because it's what's coming next. (laughs) Oh, damn. Okay. Say it. Sorry sorry to sorry to uh, myself. But yeah, I am is like a identifier for God. Like it's like a name for God in the Old Testament, I think. And, And the New Testament. Yeah. And apparently Ashtar is very similar to Ishtar, which is like a oh. Babel. It's like a, one source said a Babylonian goddess. And the other one said it was like one of the like consorts for one of the demons or something. Okay. It, it seems like weird. seemed like there was a lot of different ways to connect it religiously. Yes, um, definitely. So and like also side note back to the mental health thing. Like there are so many, um, instances where people with uh like severe mental health issues like connect it to religion Mm -hmm. um and i'm not again i'm not saying that's what's happening but it's an interesting parallel at least yeah exactly um and there is a note from investigators who have said uh the master ish ashtar um this is a quote the master ashtar appears in much of ufo contact deed literature one cannot mm. help noting the ancient origin of the name Ishtar, Ashtar, described always as a god of evil and negativity in the Bible. There oh. are instances where those who claim to have been forcefully taken aboard of UFOs describe an interaction with beings who represent themselves as emissaries of Ashtar's grand plan. Oh, God. Mm-mm. That's overwhelming. So, uh, and that's an excerpt out of from Out of the Dragon's Lair. Um, so researchers looked into these voices because they were like, this guy, what the fuck is he talking about? And Seriously. Like, and what character has he you know, conjured up? But so they decided to look at the voices themselves because they always sounded weirdly computerized and mechanical. Um, so they wanted to make sure he wasn't just altering his voice and that was this was some elaborate hoax. And it was determined that the voices quote produced an exact 1000 cycles per second on an oscillography uh which should have been impossible for human vocal cords the voice lacked all harmonics and seemed to be nothing but a series of small ripples and the voice print was different than brian's which he claimed would have been extremely difficult if not impossible to fake oh he being my a researcher. god Plus, each of the voices coming out of Brian were completely different in terms of their own analysis. So all these voices are n- not him, or seemingly Holy not him. Shit. Most of the time, though, even though these voices were coming through and talking, it is mentioned often that they they weren't really like quality conversations. Like they were just kind of saying really simple things. Um, but it is interesting how often the voices would show up. They just yeah. wouldn't really say anything super in depth. Um, but the host and Ashtar would speak through Brian often telling him what was coming or what was expected of him. Mm. And Brian was also able to do automatic writings to learn more information about them. He's and like, weird- I'm writing, but it's in Greek and it's backwards. So yes. Oh, 
<laughs> I was so, joking. Oh, no. So weirdly, these writings would sometimes be in ancient languages oh, he did on. not know, or he would draw very advanced scientific diagrams he wouldn't have known how to do. <sighs> and Brian would then explain that the entities had, quote, tasked him with the mission to master quantum displacement physics and begin to develop a mind transference machine to unite all of humanity. <laughs> like, what a tall order. <laughs> I was going to say, no pressure. <laughs> it's like, uh, you had me at quantum, just the yeah, word quantum. I don't think any of this. No, 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 no. So another time the host uh, talked to Brian, it told him that he had to go to Bolivia for further answers. Aww. And But he apparently, when he came back from Bolivia... He actually came back very different. He had like a weird new heightened level of intelligence. He was weirdly a lot calmer. He was no longer a chain smoker. Like his whole behavior was weird. different. Um, and then apparently that did not last because either after this or around this time, he ends up being... Um, uh he ends up being abducted again and we find out that he's being abducted by multiple groups of aliens so that's a whole other level to this where it's like like apparently he was being abducted by those you know that the, the redheaded first group right the first group then he was abducted by a group of greys then he was abducted by a rival group of greys like it's the fucking newsies like i don't <laughs> oh, like no. so now it's like we'll do all these beings have some because if they're trying to get him to create this machine of mind transference to unite all of humanity right do they already have this mind transference thing where they all know about him if one group oh. has abducted him or have they like kind of put a beacon on him almost by abducting him and now, yeah you know what i mean Ugh. like why all, are all these bad why are all these beings able to find him or why do they all want him so badly um, or do all of these, is there like some sort of, you know, United Nations where yeah. all of them know, like, he's the one that's going to build this for us. And so we're all keeping tabs on him or something. <sighs> this is all bad for him. Very creepy. Um, at some point during these investigations or people just researching him and studying him, um, during this time, every member of Brian's family has at, at least been hospitalized or experienced one traumatic event mm. so it's almost like something saying stay away and then um at some point he meets this guy jim fraser um who wanted to write a book on brian's case and i think they became friends over the years um and he was like oh i want to uh i want to write about you but i wish i had some more evidence about your story a different source said that he was actually going to help Brian get to Bolivia, but he wanted more proof first before he like embarked on this. Yeah. But he wanted some sort of proof of, of Brian actually being abducted by aliens. So eventually uh, he says this out loud of like, I want some evidence. And then at 2 a.m. the next morning, Brian starts speaking in the voice of the host. And he says, now comes a ball of fire for all of mankind to see. And then oh. literally, and then literally gives coordinates to look out for. <gasps> and then within 24 hours later, this massive ball of fire that was reportedly seen by so many people. Oh my God. Literally showed up in the sky and parts of it landed. The biggest part of the meteor landed in the coordinates that Brian gave. 
Oh my, yeah. Be careful asking for proof. You know, it might might regret it. It might backfire. Mm. Yeah. So when Jim and Brian went to go look for this meteorite, they ended up hearing a bunch of weird electronic beeping out uh, out on their search together. And when they came back, this led to Brian now having weird telepathy and mind reading powers. Oh my god, it never ends for this guy. It never ends. <laughs> In 1976, uh, so about a year later, Brian was abducted again and talked with the host. And this instance was apparently the start to the play of life. This is what what the host told him. This is the play of life. And you're the star, baby. Yeah, Um, I didn't ask. I don't remember auditioning for this. (laughs) So this is where I also get confused a lot because it seems like the host is a voice that goes through him that he's mm-hmm. talking through but anytime he's been abducted it sounds like it sounds like the host gave him directions of where to go and then he would get abducted and during these abductions is when he would see Voltar again okay so it seems like Voltar is at the abductions but when he's alone getting instructions it's from the host Some, right okay. okay that's how it's kind of coming off so the host told him oh this is the play of life and eventually when he gets abducted again voltar shows up and says the play of life would end in 40 years of that date and the next phase after the play of life which they don't fucking even tell you what the play of life is like is that i don't know what's going on yeah i don't have much patience for people who talk in these kind of riddles and i'm like you're (laughs) making me extremely frustrated and making me feel stupid so like at this point voltar might as well be like a troll under a bridge and like you have to like answer his riddles three to i know to cross I know. i'm like i don't have time for this there's only 40 years left <laughs> well interesting they there was also a note that 40 years is a biblical generation that's right i didn't so, even put that together well so voltar says welcome to the play of life it will end in 40 years uh and the next phase after that is the return of the last ufo which is like interesting because didn't star wars just come out around this time and the return of the jedi was like a thing Uh, listen i don't know what year was that by the way i'm 76 and it's been 40 years by now it's been 40 years yeah and and we're i was gonna say we're okay but i guess we're not so maybe that tells you something we're we're currently dealing with the return of the last ufo jedi i think so (sighs) um they they said when at the end of these 40 years and when we're at the return of the last UFO, Brian would be a light to all of mankind. Oh, um, that was kind of like the last real message he got that, that I was able to find online. I don't know if there's more in the book, but other than that, there's not much left we can do, but speculate. And a lot of UFO enthusiasts and experts have studied his case. Um, one of the main researchers into the story and one of the, um, interviews that i got a lot of my quotes from was from a researcher named tim green beckley and he was one of the people who came at it from a paranormal perspective um he said that the voices the entities the occurrences in the house they could all be paranormal supernatural or both and all of them could be the reason they're all happening at once is because they're all attracted quote to the location due to the extreme vibrations already caused by scott's ongoing cosmic encounters Okay, okay. So it's like all these encounters are building this like a beacon almost. Like now these other aliens like are it's attracted spiraling. to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Ugh. Some believe that this is evidence that the paranormal and the UFO worlds overlap in some way we don't understand. Mm. That maybe aliens gave him the supernatural gifts, in which case are they able to tap into things? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the the thought that if they're able to see our worlds, can they also see our afterworld, our other world? Mm. Like, at, at what point do dimensions of time and space stop overlapping and how capable are they of seeing these things um reactions to brian's case are very mixed some people think this is real some people think it's a hoax some people think this is severe mental illness sure um and jim fraser the guy that became his friend through this who was researching him he wrote the main book um that i did see excerpts on and i thought about including them in these notes um it was called transformation of a common man the brian scott story and i say i thought about putting excerpts in but honestly it was like now that we've finished i can say more that like um the excerpts i saw were basically like reading fucking calculus because it was so in depth with like the alien world that he had been researching oh, and it was like it talked about like the play of life and then things that brian needed to do and he was having visions of like bombs in the world and like if he didn't go to bolivia then he there was going to be a bomb that exploded somewhere and it comes off a little too mental illnessy for me mm. at first glance that i didn't want to totally promote that yeah um I don't know. I didn't read the book. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But the vibe I was getting was like, maybe I'm just so out of the UFO worlds that it just didn't register as like fully comprehensible to me. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. It just seemed like a lot. So I was like, maybe I don't say this stuff. And if you want to read about it, you can. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, out of context, especially with excerpts, it can be hard. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that is Brian Scott. Um, I've never been. And, and Nick, and and Nick. Nick. he's like always the friend never the abductee well i guess he got abducted too <laughs> oh, oh yeah. um do we know but what he's up to now one source said that he was still kicking it one source said that he is not so i don't really know what's going on with <gasps> oh, him jeez um but he survived the play of life i guess um so there's that <laughs> that is so what year was 40 years do you know what it was tw- it was 2011, so it, um, minus 40 would have been 51. Oh, it was saying because so he got that like prophecy in 56, and it was saying since your first abduction, which was I think in 71. Gotcha. So you've been ex- you've been enduring the play of life since you started speaking with us, essentially. <laughs> Me too. That's what I say about M. I'm like I keep enduring <laughs> the play of life, aka talking to M. And that's why you're. Uh, projected in a cloak of shadows or whatever it is <laughs> that's why i that's why i live under the shadow cloak yeah whatever it's it's called seasonal affective disorder in my mind but whatever it goes by many names <laughs> oh, but anyway i yeah i think the thing that really just grabbed me is i'm sure you could do it with every single alien story i've ever covered but the fact that they were mentioning at least in this like what are the connections to the paranormal world with the alien world like i've never even really sat down with that before so it's a it's a big question because it feels divided like it feels like cryptids aliens and ghosts are all kind of their own thing Mm -hmm. and it feels like a lot of people will even say like oh i believe in aliens but i don't believe in ghosts or exactly yeah like you it's weird that they could all just be of the same world which in my mind i believe 
I believe in both. I don't know about many cryptids I believe in, but they could all be the same thing. I mean, a lot of people think that Mothman is an alien, right? So some people think Sasquatch is real, but aliens are not or vice versa or ghosts, but not Bigfoot. You know, it's it. I listen on Astonishing Legends. They get made fun of a lot for saying everything is connected, but I think it is in its own way. You know, I think if you're going to believe in one thing that doesn't have a lot of backing, you can believe you might them. as well just might just dive in <laughs> keep keep at least keep an open mind at that point yeah you know? i think an open mind is the best way to put it yeah wow em good story thank you so i have a story for you today this is the story of angie dodge and i hadn't heard this one before it has a couple twists and turns <laughs> uh so buckle up if you will if you hang don't on, mind hang on hang on Whoa, it sounded like you were loading a gun, but I guess... Oh, uh... <laughs> hang on. Okay, hang on. Rewind. Hang on. Okay, ready? Yeah. Flick. Okay, that's better. <laughs> okay. I'm buckled in. Well, you're just too good at the Foley, you know? Um... <laughs> that's me. <laughs> that's you. So, Angie Dodge. Her family moved to Idaho Falls in 1984, which was a tight-knit majority Mormon community where everyone kind of seemed to know everyone. And Angie was the youngest of four, and she had three older brothers. And when she was born, her dad was so excited to have a daughter that he skipped into the hospital, like in Glee, which I think is so sweet. According to Angie's mom, Angie came into this world with many talents. She was always busy. She was bubbly, intelligent, responsible, and independent. And a friend described her as wanting everything out of life. Mm. But, of course... The happiness can't last in my story. So, never has, never will. <laughs> never has, never will. So on June 13th, 1996, Angie was tragically murdered in her tiny top floor apartment where she had only lived for three weeks. Oh, shit. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty dark. So she had moved in after a disagreement with her mom about a house rule because she had just turned 18. So she and her mom had an argument about like living under her roof. So she had moved into this, you know, new apartment and was only living there a couple weeks. But the day before she died, she actually went back home to see her mom. And her mom, Carol, said, the night that she came over, I rocked her. And I said, I'm so glad you're not mad at me anymore. And she just looked up and said, not even in a blue moon. Oh, oh my God. I I know. I'm going to cry. But, of course, the next night, several friends had come and gone from her place, and after 12.30 a.m., nobody heard from Angie again. Uh, On the next morning, when Angie didn't show up for work, her coworkers thought it was so out of character for her that they actually left work and drove to her apartment to check on her. They found her door ajar, and they found Angie dead in her bedroom. I feel like if you see a, I mean, if I ever saw a door open to a place, just um, immediate, it's not good. I'm not going in there. I'm going to get somebody who's yeah. more cap- capable to go in there. Yeah, I'm not Like, I won't it. even allow anyone I know to go in there. I'd be like, no, call somebody who yeah. is equipped for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So police arrived and they found a brutal scene. Angie had been stabbed multiple times and her throat had been cut. The murderer then sexually assaulted her body, uh, leaving behind semen. Oh, my God. And Detective Ken Brown, who was on the scene, remembers there was a lot of anger, a lot of humiliation involved in this crime. So horribly, 
Oh, gosh, my heart. A little bit later, Angie's mom called Angie's work to invite her out to lunch. Oh, God. She has no idea. She had no idea. Police hadn't contacted her yet um, because it was, you know, just a couple hours later. And so one of Angie's coworkers was on the phone and heard her mom say, like, hey, I was wondering if Angie could come to lunch with me. And the coworker didn't know what to say. So she said, Angie's been found dead. You need to go to the police station. Yeah. What do you say? I know. Like, how do you get like, obviously, the other person's going to know something is terribly wrong. Like. Even if you say, even if you say, I think you need to hang up and call the police right now. Like, yes. like that's so much worse. Like, that's almost like, yeah, exactly, exactly. At that point, you might as well just say, "Hey, look, this is what happened." You know, Ugh. that that poor coworker is probably like, "I just wish I never picked up the fucking phone." Uh, honestly, like, honestly, but, like, but then like, when would the mom have found out? You know, like, right, ugh. exactly. And someone else would have picked up the phone. So it's like, oof, it's just a, a losing situation. So of course, Carol was in total shock. Um, the whole town was in shock. Idaho Falls averaged zero to one murders per year. So this is like, especially something this brutal was just unheard of. Mm. Um, And then especially the fear of knowing that the killer is out there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Angie's funeral was a crowded event, but afterward, and this is the part that I think about a lot when I watch true crime shows, her mom felt like the world had left her behind She said, Mm. everyone went on with their lives except me. I would look outside and say, these people, don't they realize my daughter has been killed? And I just, I know that feeling on a much smaller level of like, if I'm, if you're going through grief or like trauma and you sort of look around and you're like, does nobody care? Yeah. The world goes on and it's like, of course it does, but it just feels like such a personal isolating attack. Like, don't you know how horrible things are falling apart especially because yeah i'm and i know all of us either have or will one day have to have that feeling hit us and it's um but to know that it was also like a brutal attack on someone you love just feels like a whole additional layer to it of like not only did the world move on and they probably thought like oh well everyone deals with death or whatever you know platitude (laughs) a lack of lack of empathy you could have but to know on top of it, like my my experience was particularly gruesome and people still moved on. And it's, yeah. it has to be even more of a lonely feeling. But the part of it, too, is like, you know, there's no choice. Like people have to move on. Like, they're, yeah. you know, it's it's not it's like your world is just like shattered. But, you know, people have to go to work and live their lives. And it's like no matter what happens things just keep on rolling uh it's just it's just a really hard thing to to swallow uh, to swallow yeah so police quickly ruled out angie's closest acquaintances like her boyfriend and the friends that were at her apartment that night uh who were all the last ones to see her alive and the way they did this is that all of them a had alibis but uh they also the police had the semen sample um and this was obviously very compelling dna evidence and so everyone boyfriend any male friends that were there uh gave dna samples to exonerate themselves and to aid the investigation so all of them were cleared pretty quickly investigators kind of ran out of suspects and carol began to of course just replay over and over you know the last few days before the murder trying to think like is there anything she said to me that could be a clue yeah and so angie she remembered angie telling her mom i did something really stupid but then kind of, you know, 
shut it down and, and refused to say anything else. And Carol didn't want to like push her. Uh, yeah. And thought, oh, well, it must not be important. And of course, now is like kicking herself thinking, I wish I had begged yeah. for more information. So Carol also thought maybe Angie had fallen in with a bad crowd or maybe, you know, had gotten in between two people who had a conflict. But either way, Angie spent a lot of summer days hanging out at a place called the Snake River. And this is where most uh, teenagers and young adults were spending their time, especially during the summer. And she had a tight circle of friends there, one of whom police were especially interested in. So this guy's name was Chris Tapp, and he had encountered one of the detectives on the case before. So he kind of had a personal connection with one of the officers. Detective Furman worked at the school that Chris went to growing up, and since Chris had been in trouble a few times for, like, behavioral issues, he kind of already had a relationship with this cop. Knew each so, other well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe not, like, on the best of terms, but, you know, mm -hmm. they're aware of one another. I understand. <laughs> so Angie and his other friends knew Chris had struggled with addiction in the past, and they were trying to be kind of his support system. One friend, one friend described, he was just so lighthearted, such a dedicated friend. We liked the guy, so we kept him. He needed some good friends to take care of him. So Chris eagerly agreed to help with the investigation, along with all of Angie's other friends. They all answered questions. They provided alibis, submitted DNA tests, and like I said, none of them were a match. Carol, Angie's mother, went to the police station every single day, but there was just never any new updates. And it seemed like investigators had hit a dead end. So mm -hmm. the way Carol described it is, quote, the anger just surged through me. And that's when I just went to the streets and put 60,000 miles on my truck looking for the murderer. Oof. So she's sort of like vigilante justice now, you know, like looking for looking for who this could be. Doing whatever she, she can. Yeah. Yeah. She So she decided to take it into her own hands and launched her own investigation. She she decided to pursue any information she could find about her daughter's death. Um, you know, she was really struggling to find anything. But then one of Angie's friends was arrested in Nevada for raping a woman at knife point. Oh, geez. And they were like, well, that's a good fucking clue. Yeah. So Ben Hobbs was his name. And he had been uh, so close with Angie, actually, that he carried flowers at her funeral. Like he was part oh, wow. of the funeral. So now he suddenly became the prime suspect in her killing. While in custody for the Nevada rape, uh, Ben said he would fully cooperate in the murder investigation, and he told detectives, honest to God, I had nothing to do with the murder of Angie Dodge. I wouldn't kill my friends. Then yeah, he but asked, you would do some other stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I would kill someone else, or I would rape yeah. someone else at knife point, but not a friend, you know? Yeah. Then he asked, was she raped the night she was killed? Because if she was, my DNA will prove my innocence right there. And he was right. The DNA at the scene did not match to Ben. Oh, okay. uh, But it was still a very odd similarity that, you know, he was so close to Angie and then had been arrested for this other similar crime. Mm -hmm. So, of course, with no physical evidence, they needed a confession. So they brought uh, Ben Hobbs, Chris Tapp, and a third friend, Jeremy, in for questioning. And all three men were adamant that they had nothing to do with the murder. And police at this point are like, okay, we're going to separate these guys, these friends, and try to get them to flip on one another. Like they're mm -hmm. thinking that several of these guys were somehow involved since they were all such close friends. So police are trying to get the men to turn on each other. They're offering promises and plea deals. And Jeremy and Ben 
are just holding their ground and talking back to police like, no, I didn't fucking do this. Like, you can say whatever you want and promise me whatever you want, but like, I had nothing to do with this. Chris, on the other hand, seemed a little more vulnerable. So he told Detective Furman that he trusted him since he had grown up respecting this man as an authority at school. Mm -hmm. And so at home, when Chris's mom expressed concern about like how much this detective was kind of bothering him and like questioning him, he told his mom, he's my friend. Like he's not going to basically like he's not going to do anything bad to me or like trick me like we've grown up together at this point yeah yeah like he knows me from childhood this this guy is not gonna i mean little did he know this cop was convinced that he did it so yeah you know he he was a little too trusting i guess in this in this uh authority figure so as uh i just kind of hinted at detective Furman was not actually chris's friend like chris thought he was determined to find angie's killer and he had become convinced that chris and his friends were involved despite a lack of evidence Mm -hmm. and that's when police developed a new theory that ben and chris had indeed been involved with angie's murder but jeremy was not instead an unknown third man was there and that's whose dna they had interesting so yeah they're now basically saying uh ben and chris were involved with the killing, but the person who raped her and that DNA was from a third party we have not yet identified. I can't imagine like having to investigate a case and thinking you're looking for one person and then it's fucking three and you're like, oh, oh my God, it just got so much harder. <laughs> you're like, wait, 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 wait. This is so convoluted. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. You just want everything to be so simple. Just, yeah, like, like, uh, you know, wrapped up in a nice little bow. Mm-hmm. So on February 7th, 1997, Chris was charged with rape and first-degree murder with a deadly weapon based solely on a confession. Chris did, in fact, confess to being an accessory to Angie's murder. He had allegedly held her arms down while another man attacked Angie, and at one point, they passed him the knife and he cut her just once on the chest. So when the case went to trial, Chris's mom remembers thinking, what in the world have you gotten yourself into and how in the world am I going to get you out of this mess? And there was no way of getting out of it. So Carol Dodge, this is Angie's mom, didn't understand why they were convicting someone with no physical evidence, but the police just kept telling her, he confessed, Carol, he confessed. Like, what more do you need? He confessed to this crime. Okay. The judge did did, did acknowledge... The judge did acknowledge the lack of evidence and said with no confession, there would not have been a conviction for this crime. And with no evidence and no confession from Ben, Chris was the only one who could be charged with Angie's murder. Hmm. So on March 28th, 1998, Chris was found guilty of the crime. And at the sentencing, he pleaded for life in prison instead of the death penalty. He told the judge, my death would be another tragic loss for another family. I am not the monster or animal that everyone thinks I am. So he did indeed get life in prison for the murder and another 20 years for the rape. Um, And so this means he wouldn't be eligible for parole for 30 years. So, yeah, it's it's a doozy. So when court adjourned and Angie's family passed by Chris's brokenhearted mom, Angie's brother said, Carol died twice. I hope you're happy you still have your son because I don't have my sister. So basically like salt in the wound to the mom Mm -hmm. whose son just went away for life yeah yeah, yeah. after the trial carol said i was finally looking somebody in the eyes who i thought was the devil that had taken my daughter's life 
Well, as you kind of already guessed, uh, the story is not quite over because even though Chris was behind bars, uh, one of Angie's killers was still at large, supposedly, since they thought it was like a mystery man out there. And Carol was like, listen, fine, we've got this one guy behind bars, but if there really is another killer out there, like I want him in jail. I want to find him. So also, also, am I missing something? But I feel like if Chris were going to plead for life in prison, I feel like if he had the bargaining chip of like, I know the other guy. True. I feel like like he would have just been like, I'll tell you the other guy if we can like get my sentence lowered. Okay. Well, hold on to that thought. Oh, okay. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Let me check my seatbelt. Oh yeah. Oh, that sounds like a gun again. Hang on. What's the sound when like you get locked and you can't move the the seatbelt? Oh, it's like it's that like one. it's like click. I don't know. I'm I'm clearly not very good at sound effects. I'm trying to think. I all I know, all I hear is me being so frustrated. It's like, and then I oh, yeah, that it, sound. Hang on. And it's click, like click. And then it's I, me going. God damn it! Then, yeah, yeah. It's I'm just usually me just swearing and going. Ugh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm still buckled in, so we're good, and I've oh, readjusted. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. Airbags yeah. are ready, just in case. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me find my spot. You giving the mic a little kissy? Yes. Look at mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes moonshine carries this foam part around the house, so I should probably not put my mouth on it. Ooh, does it smell like cat breath? No, he just likes to carry stuff around and then put it in his water bowl and drown it, so. (laughs) So foul. Yeah, yeah, well. Okay, so, like I said, Angie is now on the hunt for this final mystery person. Uh, And so she went to police and requested copies of all the videotapes recorded during Chris Tapp's interrogations. And she's kind of looking at these tapes and she basically wants to watch them and see if there are any clues as to who this uh, person could be that helped Chris uh, commit this crime. Investigators had recorded nearly 100% of the interrogations, and they gave Carol all the tapes. And that's when things started to take a weird turn, because in court, the prosecution had chosen select tapes to show the jury, which made Chris look guilty without a shadow of a doubt. But when Carol started watching them from start to finish, she got a funny feeling, and she began to see a different story playing out. Hmm. At the beginning of the tapes, Chris was adamant that he knew nothing about Angie's death, but the detectives just refused to accept that, and then they started to feed him information. So Carol was a little confused, and she wanted answers, so, you know, she decided to reach out to a professional, and so this was over a decade after Angie's death that she reached out to the famous DNA scientist Dr. Gred Hampikian, who worked for the Innocence Project. So in a wild twist of fate, Dr. Hampikian had already taken on Chris Tapp's case recently for the Innocence Project. So he was already working on Chris Tapp's case when uh, Angie's mom reached out to him. Oh, okay. Chris Tapp had appealed his conviction several times from prison and was insisting he was innocent. So now Dr. Hampikian and a public defender named John had agreed to represent him. Dr. Hampikian told Carol he was working to free the man convicted for her daughter's murder. And she said, I just want to know what happened to my daughter. She's like, you know, I'm not my mission isn't necessarily to keep that guy in jail. I just want the truth of what happened. I want information and closure. Yeah, Mm -hmm, exactly. 
She told Chris's team to please review these interrogation tapes she had gotten from the police because she felt like something wasn't right. They did, and they were stunned. Detectives subjected Chris to nine interviews and six polygraph tests, adding up to over 40 hours of questioning, Mm. most of which his lawyer did not attend. His lawyer was not present for most of this questioning. Ooh. He told Detective Furman, who, again, he considered a friend and an authority figure that he looked up to and respected and felt safe around. He told him that he trusted him and wished he could help. And Detective Furman started playing what Carol calls the hypothetical game, where they would feed Chris scenarios and try to get him to agree hypothetically. Gross. And because his lawyer wasn't there, it There's was no, like a... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was just vulnerable in that position. So here is a transcript from that quote unquote game. Okay. I'll, I'll read both Detective Furman and Chris. What if you did? Okay. Cut her once. Okay. So you cut her once, Chris. I know I didn't cut her. Okay. So you got a hold of the knife. No. He passed the knife off to you, obviously. Okay. And it, it's all right, Chris. I didn't take it. Okay. Damn. So hypothetically, if Chris Tapp was holding on to Angie as she was being cut and some of the other stuff was going on and Chris Tapp took part of that in any way, shape or form in cutting her, okay? But I didn't. Would you listen to me? Chris, sorry. Detective, okay. Hypothetically, I said, if you took part in any of that, that's okay because you're still here. You're still showing some good faith that you want to cooperate. So this is like how the whole thing went. It was like so manipulative. Yes, it was. It was like they were they were like luring him into this like weird hypothetical world where like it was so gaslighting. It was like anytime he said, but I wasn't there. And they're like, I said, hypothetically, are you listening to me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really gross. And so, of course, they're all watching this going, "Uh oh, you know, this is not this is not okay." So detectives told Chris in the tapes that they could offer him immunity and that anything he said that incriminated himself would be tossed out as long as he helped bring in Angie's other killers. Mm. So remember when you said, oh, didn't he have a bargaining chip? Yep. Apparently he did. And they just fooled him. Oh, yeah. Wow. So they were hoping that Jeremy, Chris and Ben might all implicate each other. But Carol said Ben and Jeremy were much smarter. And Chris, what I realized, because Detective Furman was a school cop, Chris trusted him. He kept saying, you've got to trust me, Chris. Just trust me. Chris was taught to follow adults, and he was a follower. So he really is just trying to do the right thing and just try. Remember that show, Making a Murderer? Mm-hmm. You ever, did you ever watch that? Um, No. Okay, so I remember that being like one of the first... I think it was like when I was living in Glendale and it was like one of the first like true crime docu-series that like became like a huge hit. And I remember watching it and being like mind blown. It was basically about how, you know, false confessions and how people who might have like a lower IQ or like. um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think maybe I watched this. I feel like it was, yeah, it was so long ago now. It's hard to remember. But his sister became a lawyer to be able to help him or something. That sounds right. I don't really remember, but that's that could very well be. Okay. It's um, it's been so long, but I do remember that being like the first like blockbuster hit of a true crime yeah. documentary, I remember. And I, to be honest, I don't remember like the, the outcome of all that, but I de- I clearly remember feeling like, oh, it was so obviously him. Like who says they did it? 
when they didn't do it. Like, that's ridiculous. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, shit, you can see how somebody could be manipulated and, like, just totally gaslit into com- confessing something they didn't do. Um, and so I think it's it really is seems like a more common thing than we realize. Mm-hmm. So basically, that's what she's saying. Like, he just wants to cooperate. He just wants he tr- he genuinely trusts this guy, this cop. And so he was just used as a pawn and put behind bars. Yeah. So the detective started telling Chris details that only the killer should know, like details about how brutal the stabbing was, what Angie was wearing and where she lived, because Chris didn't know any of those details. So they would like ask him, where does she live? And he'd go, I I actually have no idea. But then they would start feeding it to him and then he would like know the information and imagine 40 Mm -hmm. hours go by and you're like, yeah, she lives here. And they're like, so you do know where she is. And it's like, well, you told me, you know, Oh my God, that's the most like, it's like such an abusive it toxic is. it's it is. so bad it's so so scary and especially because they have such authority like it just it's so unsettling so on camera detectives asked chris questions about the killing and chris started making vague guesses like he just wants to pass this quote-unquote like test they're giving and him. go home yeah yes and they're just and that's the other thing that's a good point em i feel like a lot of times in these scenarios they're saying like okay, after this, you can have a soda or you can go to bed, you can go home. And like, all you want to do is get out of there, you know? Also, (sighs) isn't there like a rule of like, you can only hold someone for so many hours Mm -hmm. or something. So maybe they're just, if they're not uh, arrest, if they're not like uh, arrested for a crime, I think. Yeah. Okay. So on, uh, on camera detectives ask Chris about the killing and he's making these vague guesses clearly trying to please them to keep this immunity deal and when he got every guess wrong from what angie was wearing to what room she died in the police would correct him and be like you mean she was wearing this and he was like yeah yeah you know you mean she died in this room it's just i I, thank god carol the the mom said Mm -hmm. like you guys should re-watch this because something Mm -hmm. feels off but also i feel like anyone watching that should have been able to like notice some alarms go off of like this is fucking weird like yep but i'm glad she stood up for him and like said something especially when it's she really thought he killed her daughter at first you know like that must be really hard to like 180 and backtrack Mm -hmm. on that yeah So during the polygraph test, Detective Steve Finn would come in between questioning and tell Chris he failed the polygraph so they knew he was lying. Like, they were just making shit up. They were like, you know, we know you're lying to us. We can tell based on this polygraph. So scared, Chris would change his story again. And then they told Chris, you have a very strong reaction to the name Angie Dodge. And Chris said, I'm scared. And the detective said... I'd be scared too. Murder is murder. It's like they, I think, I mean, part of me thinks like they really just convinced themselves. This is our guy. No ifs, ands or buts. Like we're not going to second guess ourselves. Or could they have been like, they just, I mean, I don't know, but I have a a general initial distrust. Sure. Like world. Like, could they have just been like wanting to, find someone to lock up so they could be done with it like yeah i mean i think like part of it probably is like we want to solve this case and and we have this guy on the hook and he's done criminal stuff in the past or he's he's gotten into trouble yeah and it's sort of like i think they just kind of convince themselves like well this must be our guy so let's just wrap it up and put him in jail okay I, i don't know the motive or anything but um 
I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I can't really explain it, but. The detective told Chris the polygraph was picking up on lies because Chris subconsciously remembered being at the crime scene. And on camera, Chris said, if I was there, I'd remember it, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I remember it? That's my thing. I don't remember it. And the detective said, there's no doubt in my mind right now you were in the apartment. And Chris said, I would remember that. Anyone would. And Steve says, on the charts, it's saying to me you were there, which is a polygraph test. And detective said, subconsciously you remember, but you don't want to. You don't want to admit you remember. And uh, Chris said, I wasn't there. And they said, seeing someone go off like that. And he said, I wasn't there. And they said, would just be horrible. And he Mm. said, I wasn't there, you know. And the detectives say, I'm not saying you were. I'm like, okay, but you literally are. But okay. Well, like, so, so clearly you are. Yeah. That's the opposite. Yeah. The detectives say, I'm not saying you were. And Chris says, you're trying to put me there. And detectives say, no, I'm not saying you were. It's like, just run around. You know, it's just circling. It's nonsense. So in the end, Chris had been exhausted, coached, and manipulated into finally reluctantly confessing that he cut Angie once and held her arms down while another man raped and murdered her. Police Mm. told Chris if he could give them that man's name, his immunity deal would hold up and he would be exonerated. So in another polygraph test, detectives asked him to name the man. And detectives had previously suggested to Chris that the man was his friend, Jeremy. Mm. Chris said he knew they wanted him to name Jeremy, so he just picked that name. And oh, God. he wow. said it as if asking if it was the right answer. Like, I oh. don't know, Jeremy? Question mark. And yeah. po- police told him the polygraph said he was finally telling the truth, and they praised him like he passed a test. Mm. Gross. Yeah. So only minutes later, Chris started backtracking on accusing Jeremy, but it was too late. So detectives used this quote unquote tip to get DNA from Jeremy. But guess what? There was no fucking match to the semen. And so they told, they said, Chris, you told us Jeremy was there. Now we find out you're screwing with us. And he's like, no, I didn't. I like, it's just so infuriating to read. And like, I just wish his lawyer had been there, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Especially, I mean, to say like, I don't know, Jeremy and to say, Oh, now the poly... Like, that's where I'm wondering about, like, maybe they didn't have any bad motives, but if they were so convinced that they were blind to evidence of saying, like, oh, well, the polygraph says that you pass, but, like, it sounds like no matter what they were going to say it passed, even if it clearly didn't pass, they would have excused it. I think they just were using that as an excuse to, like, try to get the right answers. I mean, the right like the ones mm-hmm. they wanted to hear the yeah. story they'd already decided on yeah precisely exactly yes yeah that lawyer needed to be there <sighs> Oof. it's just too bad so after all this after this jeremy thing they get the dna results it's not jeremy they tell chris his immunity deal was off because he lied to them and chris was stunned because now he's backed into a corner where they said you're not going to get in trouble for anything you say And now they say, well, you lied to us, so actually you are going to get in trouble for everything you've said. So the police were the ones who suggested Jeremy was present. Chris had only agreed after they convinced him his memory was unreliable and that he couldn't trust himself. And he said at this point, can I just go back to the beginning? I was never there. I was never involved. But of course now it's too late because they have all this on tape. Mm Mm-hmm. Despite the absolute lack of evidence, they also charged Jeremy with accessory to a felony. 
The charges were eventually dropped, but Jeremy's name became linked to this murder and it basically ruined his life. Like he had to move out of town and he was only implicated at all because the police were like feeding this information to Chris, who then spat it back at them. So even though Jeremy never went to prison for this, like it followed him and he had to leave town and try to start fresh somewhere else. So it really just wrecked his life. So the Innocence Project learned that there was more DNA evidence at the scene that investigators had never tested, and those were pubic hairs. So Mm, they had these analyzed, and the pubic hairs matched the semen. And Carol said, when they have DNA not once but twice that belongs to the same person, and it's not Chris Tapp, the one who's in prison, something is wrong. The DNA scientist said someone went in and committed a typical violent, I hate that it says typical, but that's what the quote is, a typical violent rape murder and left typical evidence on the victim that pointed to an identity, an actual single person. They have a perfect profile, but it wasn't Chris. Mm. So now fully convinced of Chris's innocence, Carol went public in a Dateline interview in 2012 where she publicly demanded Chris's release. Oh, so shit. now she's like championing, championing for him to get out of prison. Good for her, though. It is ama- it's amazing. It's amazing strength. And, you know, she was saying at the courthouse that she was looking into the eyes of the, the devil who killed her daughter. And now she's like, you know what? I was wrong. And it's it's wild how your brain can tell you so- like to think you're truly looking at a full blown demon of a human mm-hmm. being. And then. Mm-hmm. To be able to change is... Then a few years later being like on TV saying, you know, this man is innocent and his his family deserves to have him back home. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite a turnaround. So on the Stateline episode, she demanded, let him go. It's the only thing his mother has. It's her only child. Let him go. So Carol started working with the public defender that had been assigned to Chris's case, and she also reached out to an expert in false confessions whose name was Steve Drizzen. And Steve said, I don't get calls from the victim's family members, and I was just so impressed by her. Here she was actually standing up for a new trial for the man who had been convicted for murdering her daughter. So this is just really, she's a strong lady. He said, when looking at the tapes, that it was, and again, this guy is the, expert on false confessions he said it was the worst confession he had ever evaluated and it became the confession yeah that has got to mean something and he said it was a confession that kept him up at night he said it was a textbook case of psychological coercion and he said this isn't chris's confession this is jared Furman's fantasy of how this crime occurred and there's no yep. evidence not only is chris locked up for a crime he didn't commit but the man who did kill angie dodge is still out there so it's mm. like a lose-lose because an innocent man's in jail the one who did it is still roaming free nobody yeah. got real justice like it's it's all just bad so another nonprofit got involved, and they're called Judges for Justice, and they reviewed the investigation and published reports from polygraph experts and retired FBI agents who all agreed the investigation was flawed. So the report stated, they manipulated Mr. Tapp through a series of explicit threats and promises, used false evidence, a host of leading questions, and continually contaminated the interrogation by disclosing non-public details of the crime scene. So they also called for him to be freed. Chris's friend Jeremy had always been angry at Chris for implicating him in the crime, understandably. Sure. But when he finally got to see the interrogation videos for himself in 2016, he actually forgave his friend. 
Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah, which I'm sure was also a hard situation to go through. He told Dateline, they just took it too far. They broke his brain. You can just see him crumbling. It's mm. just so sad. That's such a sad imagery of it, It too. is. It is. DNA evidence had vastly improved by now, like over the years that this had been going on. So once again, evidence was sent for advanced testing, including touch DNA, which I think is so incredible. It's basically like skin cells that are left behind just by touching like an item or a doorknob or what have you. And so this time, DNA matching the semen was everywhere, all over the apartment. The killer had left skin cells and other DNA evidence all over the room, but with that in mind, they also found no DNA evidence to suggest that anyone else was present. It looked oh. like there was just one killer. And since it wasn't Chris, well. So what was the, um, so why didn't they do touch evidence before? So uh, they, oh, it had been years and technology oh. had advanced so far that they could do that. But back in the 90s, it just sure. wasn't on the table. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. If something happens to me, make sure they do that shit. The touch evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. will. I will. Okay. I'll go cool. on Dateline. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so despite all this new information, Idaho still refused to consider a retrial for Chris. I know. I know. It's infuriating. It's just like all this red tape and stuff makes me crazy because it's like in front of everyone's face, but they just also, don't like, take that step. When it's that obvious, too. Mm-hmm. There have been some like uh, not a good frame of reference, but I've watched a lot of Law and Order SVU. Yeah. And there have been <laughs> some episodes where like they know the person's innocent and just like still won't let him leave jail. And yeah. I'm like, how does that fucking work? Like, what like are you it's talking a lot about? of paperwork. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. So it's. The fact that that's real, I just keep hoping that's like a Hollywood. It's upsetting. Yeah, it's yeah. very upsetting. It's like, you know, mm. it's just like too many hoops to jump through sometimes. Or like too, people need to sign off on it. And like if one person refuses, then it just doesn't go anywhere. That kind of thing. Yeah. So a former criminal investigator of Idaho was hired to review the entire investigation. And after 14 months and $36,000 in September 2016, he said the confessions were tainted, questionable, or unlikely. But this still didn't acquit Chris. So the review admitted there was no evidence Chris was present, but he still believed he was somehow present was where they landed. So Carol was outraged, and her response was, I don't know how he's there, but he's there. You paid $36,000 for someone to say that. Science excludes Chris Tapp, which I love that. She's like, fucking science says. She was like, I'm going to be a shark about this. Like, make it. Let's be clear here. Let's be fucking clear and stop fucking around over there faffing around and good for her like why is someone in there on a hunch that like nobody else has a hunch on like like (laughs) zero people have proof of and that he's now saying i wasn't there you know yeah so finally thank god a new judge looked over the case and on march 22nd 2017 the judge oversaw a resentencing chris's murder conviction would remain but the rape conviction was dropped and he would be able to get out of prison immediately So Chris's lawyer tried to talk Chris out of it, but Chris at this point would do anything to be out of prison, even if it meant legally remaining a convicted murderer. He was like, I don't care anymore. Just put that on my name and let me out of here. Yeah. He's like, whatever it takes. Yeah. Which is also not fair. You know, like now you have to live the rest of your life this way. 
So Carol Dodge took the stand in Chris's defense, and Chris cried as she spoke, and when he was freed, Chris fell into both the arms of his own mother and Carol. Oh, And the three that's... of them held each other and cried. Oh my god. Oh, wow. What? That's, that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. Chris's old friend Jeremy, that he had implicated, walked up and held him too as they both cried and said, I love you. Oh my God, it's like a movie. I know. I have goose cam. Chris stepped out of the courthouse to applause from the crowd that was waiting outside. He said, I want to see what life has to offer and prove that I'm worth something. Then he thanked Carol for being his loudest voice, and he said now that his story was over, it was time to find justice for Angie. He said, I have to honor Angie. I have to stand up for Angie. Detectives continued to insist that they knew Chris Tapp was guilty. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? I know. I know. Oh, my God. Yawn. Yawn. Old news. Get out of here. Go home. Find a new story. Take a hike. Take a fucking hike. Take a hike on Superstition Mountain. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Take a hike to the bridge, the natural bridge on Superstition Mountain. (laughs) Take a a hike to Voltar's Riddle Me (laughs) 3 bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and stay there. So detectives continued to insist he was guilty and that the interrogation tapes would prove it. But in November 2018, Carol Dodge contacted a famous genetic genealogist named Cece Moore. And Cece Moore used genealogy DNA from databases like Ancestry.com to narrow down potential relatives of the murder. And this is, uh, you know, the kind of thing we've all seen with the Golden State Killer and just being able to link family trees via DNA um, to find, find, you know, cold case killers, that kind of thing. So they did this, and in the end, police were led to a man named Brian L. Drips Sr., who lived across state, but when they looked into it, he, at the time of Angie's murder, had lived across the street from her. Mm. And he also happened to have moved away shortly after her death. So investigators matched the crime scene DNA to one of Brian's discarded cigarettes, and Pretty much immediately upon bringing him in, he folded and oh, wow. <laughs> admitted it. He said he had been high on coke that night and really drunk, and he intended to rape Angie but not murder her. They said he kind of slumps a little bit. He was silent for a couple of minutes, and then he just said, I did it. I raped her, and apparently I killed her. The case was finally closed. So in June of 2021, Brian was found guilty of Angie's rape and murder and sentenced to life in prison. And at the sentencing, one of Angie's brothers said, Chris Tapp should be given the opportunity to voice his nightmare to this court. He served and lost 20 years of his life because of Mr. Drips. It's also, I mean, there's no right way for it to have gone, but there's, it's still so infuriating I'm sure for Chris, but even for me, like someone who's hearing this for the first time, that he went through all of that, like mental torture. Then he went through 20 years of prison when this guy came in and within five minutes, like didn't need any twisting, didn't need any bending. He was like, oh, yeah, it's me. Like it would have nobody would have it would have taken five minutes of police work if he just walked in, if they found him first. I know. And it's like so frustrating because like he was never even on anyone's radar because he just moved away and stayed low profile. So, I mean, and and understandably, they looked at her friends first because it's like, of course, usually if you're raped or and killed, it's by someone, you know, like that's 
you know, so I understand the like initial interest in these people, but it's like when the evidence is not lining up and the person's saying they didn't do it, like you, you know, it's worth looking a little broader and considering other avenues. I don't know. It just would have, it would have taken five minutes for a conviction. Like had, had they just found him first, which like, I get like, I get why things happened the way they did and like who they were looking for first. But the fact that this guy had to lose so mm-hmm. much of his life because this guy just never got found. And then like, and so there's, it really is just so angering that like how quickly he folded. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like you'd think for, Oh, you've been in hiding this whole time. You could, you would at least put up a fight or something. Either way it would be bad. There's no good way, but yeah. it just feels, feels worse. It's almost like after those 20 years, he was just waiting for them to figure it out. Like, I yeah. wonder if, I wonder if he knew that the other guy got let out. Like, I wonder if he followed it or not. It's it's obviously, I don't know, but because, you know, like, oh, as soon as they find my DNA, like, there's no talking yeah. your way out of it. Like, it, it, your semen is there, you know, explain yourself, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is heartbreaking to think about how quickly it could have been resolved gone a different direction yeah yeah so chris has been fully exonerated thankfully and he filed a lawsuit against the city of idaho falls and seven former police officers uh detective Furman, who had meanwhile been elected mayor actually died in 2022 oh. at the age of 60 uh mayor yeah following an early onset alzheimer's diagnosis so carol dodge is credited with solving her daughter's murder because she refused to give up. And quite frankly, if she had never gone and gotten those tapes, like he would just probably still be in prison and nobody would have even found the actual guy. So Carol said she couldn't back down because of this is cry. Okay. I've got this. Carol said she couldn't back down because of that day. She hugged Angie after their argument. She said, Mm -hmm. if I hadn't had the opportunity to hold Angie in my arms that night and to tell her how much I love her, I don't know that I could have made it. It's what kept me determined to find out why my daughter was killed. Jeez. So that is the story of Angie Dodge and the, the false confession. Well, there's no happy ending to that story, but at least, you know, the happiest version of it could happen that at least yeah, he got you out know, at and... least there was some justice with with him you know at the very least yeah wow well it's a doozy. good story definitely had my the twists and turns i'll unbuckle now <laughs> yeah you so... can unbuckle we're safely parked click so <sighs> i uh it's a good one i do like when there's twists and turns to the story and i do like when there's whatever version of a happy ending some sort of possible. justice yeah 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 and uh, shout out to the Innocence Project because they really do they do great work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you hear about this one? Was there any? Um... It was just kind of a random. Like I hadn't actually heard about it before. Um, and uh, the person who helped us do some of our research was like, "Hey, have you heard of this?" And I was like, "God, no!" Every time, every time I see a topic where I'm like, "How do I not know that?" You know what I mean? But it's just kind of terrible because there's just so many crime stories that it's like. Wow, it's just endless stories to cover, which is, you know, I'd give I up know. my job if uh, if it meant no more stories to cover. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I think you're going to have a lifetime of stories. Yeah, it's it's too bad. It really is tragic. Um, so I actually had not heard of it before um, they kind of sent it my way. But yeah, gotcha. pretty, pretty crazy. Well, uh, 
I'm glad we got to hang out a little bit. I know it's when we're talking about dark stuff instead of just like friend hangouts, but I'm glad we got we to see each other. Do, I haven't seen we you. We kind of do that during friend hangouts too. So <laughs> <laughs> I I haven't seen you in a while though. Last time I saw you, I was covered in spots. So I know. I'm, are you feeling better? Uh, I have so, like a little scarring, but I think after a, like a couple skin sheds, we'll be good. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. So good, I think good. it'll you know. But it's like they're like they're tiny little dots. It, it adds character. They're like forehead freckles. So they're like I'm freckles. Like, yeah, little freckles. Um, but other than that, I'm good. Allison, I think maybe caught a minor case of it, but it was nothing compared to what my situation was. Um, but yeah, everything's my my hands are the only thing that are still healing a little bit. But we're okay. we're in the clear, folks. Oh, what a what a week. Hey, now apparently since I've gotten it and I can never get it again, you've at least helped me out next time I'm near a baby. I don't have to wonder. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I'm going to see you tomorrow or Wednesday because we're going to be in Florida this week. Yeah, I'm going to see you Wednesday in Florida. I'm so excited. Um, And we're about to also record our after chat for Patreon. So if you guys want to hear more, you can go to patreon.com slash and that's why we drink i think and that's why we drink let me check if that's correct nope wow <laughs> six years folks cool okay patreon.com slash atwwd podcast so mm-hmm. check us out we'll see you there um otherwise i guess we're good to go huh yeah and that's why we drink <laughs>